The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Suzanne Giesman, and I'm just thrilled to be talking with all of you. If you're listening live, we're still in the throes of most people around the world being quarantined because of the coronavirus. And it's just so interesting to, to see the changes we notice as we're stuck in in our homes and can't go out and do what we're used to doing, worried about other people. But you know what it's really shown me with startling uh, realization is how much we need that human interaction. I realize that going out to dinner and social events is so much more than just having a meal outside the house because Ty and I have uh, twice now brought takeout food from restaurants home. And it's just not the same as being in the atmosphere of other people and enjoying them enjoying themselves. So isn't it just one of the the silver linings of all of this is realizing how connected we all are. That's a beautiful thing and hopefully this will all be behind us soon. My guest today is a doctor and a medium with a background in business and computer science. Her name, her full name is Anne Charlotte Valentine, but she goes by Dr. Lottie. That's the that's the L-O-T-T-E part of Charlotte. And I had the pleasure of um, meeting her at an International Association of Near-Death Studies Conference and IANS Conference, but also we enjoyed dinner together at a mutual friend's home. So we had a nice chance to talk. And she has this bubbly, vibrant personality that I know will come through on the air, but she has also a wonderful story to talk about, two near-death experiences, her career to becoming, as the title of her book says, for going to med school after menopause. That's the title of the book, but it's really her book about the journey of her soul. Dr. Lottie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure. I just, uh, I've never seen you without a great big smile on your face. I'm sure you have those days when you're not, but uh, it's just something about you that you radiate sunshine. <laughs> Thank you. You know, what I was struck by as I read your book, and I, as I was telling you, I, I do try to read all my guest books from cover to cover, and uh, 
You have had a rough life, mostly because of medical issues in the middle of your life that most people never put up with. I mean, years and years of struggling with serious health issues, and we'll get into that, yet you wouldn't know it by meeting you now. Right. That's for sure. It's, uh, you know, we go through hardships in life, and um, the thing you have to remember is that all hardships are transient. And being sick, it really took me 12 years um, to heal after my two near-death experiences and because I was physically sick as well. But it is having lived through those experiences that has really made me the person I am today. And it makes you realize that it is, you know, through these profound um, periods of darkness that the new creativity and transformation takes place. It is from this um, period of darkness that new life awakens and begins, just like the baby grows in the womb or a seed grows in the ground, right? And yeah. it's through these um, these hardships that we experience that we really grow and become a different person. Yeah, and you're the walking example of that. We'll talk all about that during the show. Those of you who are astute may have noticed a little accent there. So, Dr. Lottie, why don't you tell us a little bit of your, your background? Right. So I was born and raised in Scandinavia, which is in the northern part of Europe, in the country of Sweden. And uh, I didn't move to the United States until I was 21 years old. Uh, My father was a um, family practitioner, an MD. My mom was a hospital floor administrator. Uh, One of my brothers, I have three older brothers, became a surgeon. And so I was always surrounded by medical people. All my my parents' friends were doctors and nurses. And I moved to the United States when I was 21. And I thought again, should I become a doctor? And I looked at the curriculum and I said, that is just way too hard. My English is not good enough yet to handle those kind of science classes. So I majored in business and computer science. And then I graduated and I worked um, for IBM as a computer programmer and systems analyst. And I laugh at that now because I was such a scientific person, and I still am a very scientific person. I want proof of everything. So, uh, but coming from that very scientific background, and my father being so scientific himself, um, I wanted proof of everything. If I could not touch, see, smell, or hear something, as far as I was concerned, that did not exist. And then I had my near-death experiences, which completely changed my life. So let's get into that. But first, tell me, did you have any understanding of an afterlife before your near-death experience, your first one? No, I did not believe in anything. I did not believe in any religion. I did not believe in angels. I did not believe in ghosts. I did not believe in anything that you could not prove to me was actually real. So when I had my near-death experience and... Well, we can talk about that, but it really threw me for a loop because I'm outside my body and I'm still there. I'm still well, why don't me, you tell us about I'm outside. it? <laughs> so, so my first near-death experience was after my third child was born and I hemorrhaged 10 days after she was born. I hemorrhaged right after birth and I gave birth between a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. So that complicated things. And you mean literally, right? In the, I mean... It happened while yes, you were in right labor, in between, right? I was contracting three minutes apart and a, a 7.4 earthquake struck. And Ouch. I literally thought I was going to die because the hospital was shaking so violently. And 
you know, in hospitals where they have those big windows from basically floor to ceiling. And I figured, well, this is it. I'm going to die because the the windows will cave in, the building will collapse, the ceiling tiles will fall down and bury us in rubble. And as I'm lying on that table and the midwives and my husband, everybody was holding on to me so I would not levitate off the table, but at the same time to make sure they were not falling over because it was shaking so violently. And so it was so scary and I, I literally thought I was going to die. And it wasn't, um, and then my labor stopped. And then I gave birth and then we had a 7.2 earthquake, <laughs> which still was a big one. But it's very different um, to have the thought that you are going to die compared to actually dying. So 10 days after she was born, though I hemorrhaged right after birth, I started hemorrhaging again. And I had the first blood clot that came out was the size of a baby's head. It was just enormous. Mm. And as I looked into the toilet, I was at a playground in a park because my friends were holding a baby shower for me. And I had my six-year-old son with me and my three-and-a-half-year-old son and my newborn baby. And I'm, I'm looking into the toilet and I see this enormous blood clot. And having grown up around medicine and heard all the stories my father would have told me, you know, all the years when I grew up, I knew that this was a bad thing. Yeah, so, I don't think you need you know, to have heard those stories, Dr. Lottie, to know that that's a bad thing. In fact, I need—I should have probably warned people, especially Ty, who always listens to my shows. Honey, tune out for a few minutes. He, he does not like medical things, right. but please continue. Oof. Yeah, so then I, I went, you know, we went to the emergency room. They kept me for observation for two hours. They sent me home. They said, well, maybe it was just the second lining. And I was sent home. This is in 1992. And, you know, medicine was different then. And then the next day I hemorrhaged again. We called the hospital. They said, okay, see the doctor tomorrow morning. I went to see the doctor in Huntington Beach, California, which is where we lived at the time. He did the same thing as the doctor in the ER, in manual examination, looking, you know, saying, oh, there isn't much blood coming out right now. It's just a trickle of blood. Could have been a second lining coming out. And he sent me on my way. There was no blood, you know, no lab work. There was no ultrasound. Mm. Nothing was done. They just didn't. I, I have to add, interrupt you and ask you, as a doctor yeah. now, does that mm-hmm. horrify you? Yes. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay. I mean, right away you would have, a, you know, you would have done lab work to see, is there an infection going on? What's happening? Why is she bleeding? Instead of just assuming, I mean, they were assuming that it was a second lining. They, it wasn't very scientific. And then I hemorrhaged again that day, went back to the ER. Again, I was put on observation and they closed the door to my room. And as I'm lying there, I finally start bleeding. And to me, I was just thinking, you know, I was young. I was 33 years old. We lived along the beach in Huntington Beach. I was 10. It's June. I looked like the picture of health. And I was a complete health nut at the time. I don't think we even had white sugar and white flour in the house because I had just studied nutrition. So I was a real complete health nut. And so I look really healthy on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. And they close the door and I start to bleed. And then after I've been bleeding for a while, this nurse opens the door and she randomly checks on me and she said, and I can see her, her, her jaw just dropping to the yeah, floor. Yeah, the eyes get and wide. I, yeah, yeah. see eyes wide and she's just, you know, oh my gosh, she can see all the blood on him lying there in a pool of blood. Uh, on the table, and I can hear the stat call go out on the loudspeaker. We better and fast just, forward to the actual crossing yeah, over part here because I have so much I want to talk about. Right. 
And then the the ER doctor comes running in and he examines me. And as he is examining me, another large blood clot comes out. And this is the fifth time I'm hemorrhaging now in three days. And that is what put me over the edge. And it was very different because they start tipping the table backwards. And as they do that, I can feel the nurse on my left trying to get place an IV. Back then, they did not place IVs, right? Today, we place IVs right away. You go in the ER, we're ready for anything to happen. So we have access to the veins. But back then, they didn't do that. And now it's hard for them to access mm. the vein because they're collapsing. And then the nurse on my right is quoting my blood pressure. And she says, you know, 50 over 15, hurry. And it was at Yikes. that point that I knew that I was dying and then started to leave my body. But mm. when I was on that, then I left my body and being on the other side, I had this understanding that everything on the other side makes perfect sense. And it's all just love and bliss. And you have access to time. There is no time on the other side. You have access to past, present and future. It is mm. time is just something that, we experience being in the physical plane in our body. When you go on the other side, it's like I had access to everything that ever was and ever will be, but I couldn't grab hold of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then in with that, mm-hmm. I was sent back into my body and it's just being going in and out of the body. It's just like a, within a second, you're split second, you're outside the body. And within a split second, you're just sucked back in. And it almost felt like a, a giant vacuum cleaner with this huge force that just pulled me back into my body. Were you aware of conversing with any beings or any met by anybody? No, that did not happen during my first near-death experience. That happened during my second near-death experience, which took, which took place about two years later. And because of this uh, and losing so much blood, I got really sick and I started bruising. And I now, being a doctor, I understand what happened and ho- was also told years later that probably what I had was a plastic anemia, which means that you have a reduction of your white blood cells, your red blood cells, and your platelets. So if you hit something, you bruise very easily because you don't have platelets. So I was uh-huh. covered in bruises. I was getting sick all the time. And this journey took a long, took me literally 12 years to, to really heal. The first six years was, um, you know, working on healing every day. But during You know, you, time, say, you say that, but I just want all of you listening to understand in the book, she goes into detail. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't take care of your kids. You couldn't go to the store. You were just mm-mm. literally like an invalid, weak and yeah. sick constantly. Yeah, yeah. For, for the first year, I could not go to the store at all. I basically spent a year in a rocking chair. And then um, the following years, if I timed it, I could go to the store. If I was constantly moving and not standing still, and I would go to the store when there was no people. And many times I would just walk away from the cart because I felt like I was going to pass out. People would approach me in the stores asking if I was going to pass out because I was so pale um, and so weak because I didn't have enough blood in in my system. So after two years, I had a second near-death experience, and it was as if my my soul, I don't know if my soul did not merge all the way back in after my first near-death experience or if it was because I was so sick, but it was as if my soul was constantly trying to jump out of my body, and I was constantly holding on to it and, you know, just kind of like, don't, don't leave, don't leave, hold on, and every night, many nights, I would just wake up, and I would be so faint. I would take my head off the pillow and, you know, pull my legs up, try to get more blood into my head, and just holding on to that soul. And one night, it was just all of a sudden, I was just on the outside again. I just got pulled out within a split second. But during this second time, 
I traveled. All of a sudden, it was as if I just traveled through space. It was just darkness. It wasn't a tunnel. Like I've heard people talk about going through a tunnel. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. that. It was just, I was just tumbling through what felt like space. And then I um, ended up what I call a mid-station because I was aware that there were sort of levels above me and sort of levels below me. And that is when I experienced uh, being in the light, the divine light, which is just a very blissful experience that you don't, there are no words to really describe what it is that you experience being in this light because it is, it is the most brightest light, white light that you can even imagine. And it's just pure love. You are you are love, you are light, you come from this light, you return to this light, you carry this light within you when you are on earth, we are part of this light. And it's just this magnificent, you know, bliss and love. And from this light, there were angels that played the most beautiful music you have ever heard that you can't even create on the earth plane. I sat Mm. by the synthesizer for days trying to recreate that sound. There is no sound that sounds like what I heard, but I did also did not believe in angels, but it's still what I saw. (laughs) And this is when I met two spirit guides that appeared. And the first one said, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I said, no, 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 wait a second. It's kind of like, who let her out of her body? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. And it was almost like I had to have this second experience. I always feel like I was supposed to have it the first time in the ER, but I didn't get that experience. So I had to do it again because it is this experience that really transformed my life together with the first experience. But Mm -hmm. the second spirit guide I said, no, how does this work? How can this be? And the second spirit guide said, if I told you, you won't remember, but you will remember this. And I think that's interesting because it is like they, they have control over us and they can, you know, decide what we're going to remember and not remember. And then it was as if I was standing on the moon and just looking down at the earth, but it looked like a silvery glittery fishnet around the earth, which I now know, or people talk about the grid. And he told me that everything on earth is connected to each other, but everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that, I got sent back down into my body. But it is interesting because it is through that, through those messages that transformed my life. So that has just stayed with me. It is, it is as if I experienced it yesterday because it's so vivid still in my mind. But the fact that we are all connected, we are all connected to each other and to something bigger than that, right? So everything that we do and think and feel and say creates some kind of frequency between all of us that then affect everything that is. It certainly is enough to give people hope and make make us envious of those who have that experience, but I wouldn't have wanted to go through what you did physically. Now, were you still dealing with the physical after effects uh, at that time? And did what you experienced in the second NDE change that? Uh, yes, I was still, I was really sick still. Um, and I was still covered in bruises. So if I put my knee on the floor to help my children tie their shoe, I would have, my knee would be covered in a bruise. So I became a very good squatter during these uh, five or six years until the, the bruising, um, you know, stopped. But it's not, um, it didn't change uh, anything physically. What changed was 
that I started becoming clairvoyant and I started to see things before they would happen or I started knowing things before they happened. And I, in the beginning, I thought it was just, oh, that's just a coincidence. It can't be, even mm-hmm. though I had had these experiences because I was still doubting my own experience. I kept thinking, well, maybe it's the brain. Maybe this is the way the brain shuts down. Maybe it's the lack of oxygen. I needed a scientific explanation for what it was Mm -hmm. that I had experienced. And I couldn't find any. I read read so many books. I even read Stephen Hawking's books. And I I had no idea what those mathematical equations actually meant. I would just read it for content, trying to find a scientific explanation to my own experience. And it took me many, many years of, of um, coming to terms with this. And it was through the clairvoyant, clairaudient, and the clairsentient experiences that I had over the next 12 years that then taught me that this is, this is real. You, every time the spirit world tells you something, it comes true. It doesn't matter what I do to counteract it. I saw our, you know, we were going to be in an accident. I see the scratch on the car. I tell my family about this. And the kids are, you know, we figure out which intersection it might happen. And, and then finally the accident happens and nobody, you know, nobody got hurt or injured. But it was through these, all these experiences that I learned when I see something or the spirit world shows me something, this is, this is the truth. This is, this is what's going to happen. And it's through that experience over the so many years um, that I eventually then um, became a medium, which really didn't happen until 2017. And, and we'll talk about that in the second half yeah. of the show. But when, mm-hmm. at the time that you had your near-death experiences, was that in the, the period when most people weren't talking about these and there wasn't much known about them? Yeah, yes, right. So I read Raymond, Mood, Raymond Moody's book, uh, and whatever was available back then, I read PMH Atwater's books, the first ones that she had written. Uh, and it was my mother-in-law that really understood what had happened to me when I said, told her of my experience. But I was afraid of even sharing my experience because if somebody had told me what I had experienced, I would have said, well, obviously they have you know, a mental problem or there's something wrong with them mentally because that can't happen. Because I came from, you know, I was so scientific myself. I had a hard time believing what I had experienced myself because I was sure. so scientific. That's funny. Can, let's see, we have about five minutes till we have to take a break. Can you summarize mm-hmm. the several of the major lessons you learned from that near-death, ex- both of those near-death experiences? Uh, yes, I would say the biggest lessons would be um, you know, seeing that grid and having the spirit guide tells, uh, tell me that we're all connected. We're all connected to each other and we are connected to the earth and the animals and the plants. And we are then also connected up to something bigger than that, which is the grid or maybe many different levels of grids. But mm-hmm. the whole point is that everything is interconnected to each other and that that light that when I stood in that light, that light is just pure love and bliss. And it taught me that we, everything is just love in the end, because we are love. We are light. We care that light within us. And, but you know, Dr. Lottie, you know, it's, 
so very few people have that experience and it's beautiful mm-hmm. to hear your words. I can feel the sincerity. I know mm-hmm. it's real because I've heard of other people, but did you get any, have you had any insights as to why that light doesn't trickle down to more people, that awareness of it? I think it's an awareness that you, each person has to discover for themselves. We all incarnate for different reasons. Um, I had to experience that the way I look at it. I had to experience that in my own life in order to fulfill my contract or go on the, down the path that I was meant to go down on and become a healer and a doctor because that was that is my true path. And I think it's each person, um, everybody is not going to or may not find that during their life because it's not part of their life path. We all have different life paths. We all have a different reasons for our existence. And we all balance off each other, creating all different frequencies of life, right? And we, we, everybody is needed. And we can see that more than ever during this pandemic, how we're so rely, you know, we rely on the UPS man, we rely on the postal workers, on the grocery store workers, on the doctors and nurses. And everybody has a function here on earth. Everybody has a path. That's a great um, and example. I also think that, um, yeah, um, that, you know, life is short and we never know when something is going to happen to us and to live each day as it is, as it, if it is your last, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We didn't know what was going to happen. Think of last Christmas when we were all, you know, doing all Christmas things, celebrating the holidays. We had no idea that this pandemic was around the corner and how our lives drastically changed. And it just teaches us, Again, that every moment is important and to be grateful for everything that is. Be grateful for what we have, you know, that we have each other. Be grateful for the fact that we can go outside, even if we have to do social distancing at the moment. You know, you but know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that, and, and so many mm-hmm. of us say that life is short. And I agree with you when we say that this human life in the grand scheme of things is short, mm-hmm. but it has such a fatalistic feeling to it. And I love just saying that this current experience is, you know, it can be short. I, I'd rather say life is just, even though it is eternal, you and I know that as mediums. Yes. It, mm-hmm. You know, but it, we're here to milk it for all it's got every moment. So rather than saying life is short, which it is, I agree with you. Uh-huh. It's more of that life is eternal. We do go on. Your near-death experience yes. showed you that. But mm-hmm. meanwhile, things can change in an instant. So appreciate yes. every moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're talking it with... Dr. Anne Charlotte Valentine. Her book is called Med School After Menopause. And so we haven't even gotten to that part yet. Uh, your website, you want to share that with everybody? Sure. My website is dot com, And I also have another website called Divine Spiritual Essence. But you can just go to com and click okay. on Divine Spiritual Essence. And- Great. Well, come back after the break everybody and we're going to find out some really cool things about what happens when you go to med med school later in life
Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Oh, I'm so enjoying the rousing conversation with Dr. Lottie. That's Dr. Ann Val- well, Anne Charlotte Valentine, who was not always a doctor. Her book is called Med School After Menopause. So that, so that should tell you something. Dr. Lottie, how did you suddenly decide to change your life completely and become a doctor? Well, so I had those two near-death experiences, right? And I became clairvoyant, clairsentient, and clairaudient over the next 12 years. And after hearing and seeing so many messages that came from the spirit world, they would warn me about things. They would warn me about accidents. They would warn me about people dying. And after 12 years of this, when the spirit world spoke, speaks to me, you know, spoke to me then and speaks to me now, it's, you just, listen I just listen and I was in my living room and I had started looking for different things I was thinking you know now it's been 12 years and I finally healed from all of this and I want to you know when I go back to the workforce what should I do because I didn't want to go back into the computer science business because I had changed so much and I wanted to work with with healing of some sort and uh, I was looking at different things online couldn't really find anything Um, I saw a medical school, naturopathic medical school, and I just brushed it off right away. I said, that there is no way. I'm in my 40s now, and that is just way too much work. It's too too much risk involved. Too, you know, medical school costs a lot of and, money. And, and you're married. And, you yeah, have three kids. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And in, you're in the in the in your midlife, and. I was stood up and I was walking to the kitchen and all of a sudden I became aware of a spirit. I couldn't see the spirit, but, or know who it was. I just know that there was a spirit that was communicating with me. And the spirit guide said that I had to become a doctor. I had to write two books, no wait, three. I had to bring messages and healing to the people. And I had to combine East and West in the, in the healing that I was to do. And so that, that was my answer. And right away I said, okay. And I said, what do you mean writing books? I don't know how to write books. And they said, well, when the time is right, we're going to tell you. And I said, what do you mean messages? Messages what? Bring messages to people. I don't understand. And they said, when the time is right, we will tell you the first thing you have to do is become a doctor. And <laughs> literally I enrolled, I was in school within two weeks taking starting the prereqs of you know biology yeah. organic chemistry yeah you know i want i want to interrupt here because i was so yeah, impressed that's always the daunting thing you, you know you want to try a new field and you have to do the prerequisites and you didn't just do 
college prerequisites, you went back and had to do an advanced placement high school science course, and yet you went for it. Yes, because I had not, I graduated from high school in Sweden, and our high schools don't work the same way. I'd never took high school biology uh, or uh, chemistry because I was a language major in high school and business and language. And then I was a computer science business major in um, at college here in the United States. And so I had to take advanced placement biology, advanced placement chemistry before I could even take the freshman biology and chemistry. Oh my and gosh. So it, so you're 46 <laughs> years old and you haven't even mm-hmm. thought about applying. How long did you work to take these courses before you even applied to medical school? So I started taking prereqs in 2004 and I did not apply to medical school until of 2000, I tried to get, yeah, I applied 2010 for the 2011 class and then deferred one year and uh, started medical school 2012. So this, this process really started in 2004 and then I started medical school in 2012. So each time journey. between classes, how, how, what level of doubt versus commitment did you have? Like, am I really, am I crazy for doing this? Am I really going to do this? Oh. Many times I, you know, said to myself, am I crazy? What is it going to be like? I'm going back to college. All these kids, I knew my own kids were teenagers at the time and how smart they were with computers and how fast they download everything. And going back to college in 2004 was nothing like going to college in the 1980s. Because in the 1980s, the teachers still wrote on the blackboard. Now (laughs) everything was just PowerPoints and they just fly through the PowerPoints and you're downloading everything and everything is going 100 miles an hour. And it's very different. And it really made me understand how different, how stressed out the kids in today's society must be. Because when I went to college in the 1980s, it was so different. Things mm-hmm. moved at a much, much slower pace than it does now. And it was Well, it was unfortunately, this show is moving at a really fast pace. And there's so much I want to get to. I want to fast forward to your yeah. interviews. For You had chosen two medical schools that focused on naturopathic medicine. And we'll tell folks later what that is. But mm-hmm. I love the quote in your book. You're being interviewed and you say on page 131, I couldn't tell them the spirit world told me to become a doctor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm writing my medical school application and what am I supposed to tell them? You know, why do I want to be a doctor? Because I want to, he- I want to help heal everybody. I want to help people trans, you know, find healing physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, but I couldn't exactly tell them that the spirit, the spirit world told me I should be a doctor and this is my path. So it was, but in, was you funny. know, reading your book, you had all the right reasons and you had really applied yourself to, to the prereqs and you did well. You, you the kind of person that excels at everything that you do. So I was like, I'm cheering for you when you get these notices in the mail, both medical schools accepted you and you're in your fifties now. Right. So right. yeah. Yeah, so I I got invited for an interview at both schools. And when I wrote the medical school application, my thought process was always, how do I get selected? How are they going to select somebody in, you know, that's in her 50s? How do I measure up? How do I compare to the other applicants that are all probably in their 20s or 30s? And, you know, trying to let go of that and say, 
don't worry about that. Just worry about you. Just don't compare yourself to other people. Just, you know, stay on your path. Trust your, trust your path. Trust your inner knowing. It was it, it really a, a lesson in that. Of, yeah, of that's, that's the main lesson that just shines throughout your book. And mm-hmm. for those of you just joining us, it's Dr. Anne Charlotte Valentine, and the book is Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul. And that's what you demonstrate so well in the book, that you followed your soul's nudging. This nothing swayed you. So would you share with us, when you got accepted to both schools, how you decided which school it was going to be. So everybody listen carefully because this discernment process is very educational. Right. So I um, was accepted into a school in Washington state and one in the state of Arizona. Now growing up in, in Sweden and living on the East coast and West coast of the United States, I had always lived around water and I was really drawn to the school in Washington state because of the, of the water and every time I decided I was going to go to the school in Washington State, the spirit world started waking me up at night. And I would wake up and I would, they would say, no, you have to go to the school in Arizona. And I would say, well, there's no water there. I'm not sure how I will you know, feel living in a state that doesn't have, is surrounded by water. And this would go on for weeks. And they would wake me up every night. And then I would say, fine, I'll go to the school in Arizona. And then... You know, two or three weeks would go by and I would have doubts again. And I'd say, oh, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. I think I should go to the school in Washington State. It is by the water. It would be so much better for me. And it's hot in Arizona. I'm not used to hot weather. And again, every night the spirit world would wake me up and I would go through the same process every time until I finally said, okay, this is it. After weeks or months of this being woken up, I finally said, okay, trust it. You have to trust it. How could you not trust it? After everything that the spirit world had told me and everything that I knew, I was still having doubts because of my very scientific nature of of who I am. And finally, I said, okay, fine. I'm just going to trust it. I'm going to trust this because you're telling me that Arizona is the right place and that's where I'm going. And sure enough, it has been just a wonderful journey and I've met so many wonderful people. And uh, not until I came to Arizona did I understand you know, why I was put here, because it, it's true. It's, it, was the, it was the best spot for me. <laughs> well, you know, you were, I must say you were a little slow on the uptake there. You must have really missed out on a lot of sleep. <laughs> I'm glad you finally got it. They must have, I could just see your guides across the veil saying, how many more times do we have to wake her up? But <laughs> you finally made that connection. So I laugh uh, at that now. <laughs> Yeah, that. Uh, we won't go into the med school, but my gosh, it was demanding and unrelenting. It sounds much harder than uh, normal medical school <laughs> because you had so many varied classes. This is a great time for you to share with us the difference between naturopathic medicine and, and a, a naturopathic medical doctor and a medical doctor. NMD right. versus so in- MD. Mm-hmm. NMD versus NMD. And a traditional medical uh, doctor, like an allopathic medical doctor or MD, as we call them, uh, the first two years of medical school is almost identical in naturopathic medicine and 
in allopathic medical school because we learn, we go through cadaver lab and we do physiology and it's all the same biochemistry. It is the second two years that are different. We all do the general medicine. We all do those t type of classes. We actually study a little bit more pharmacology, a few hours more than the, the MDs because we have to learn more about the interaction of herbal medicines with the pharmaceuticals. But on top of just learning uh, allopathic medicine, we also get trained in uh, acupuncture, uh, botanical medicine, and homeopathy, as well as nutrition. So it is more um, of a holistic approach to medicine, and we always try to go to the root cause of why the person is sick instead of, uh, you know, just prescribing a pharmaceutical drug. Now, granted, if you come see me and you, and you have sky-high blood pressure, I am <laughs> going to give you a pharmaceutical drug to keep the blood pressure under control because we don't want you to have a stroke, right? And then we can work on a holistic approach and we can wean you off that blood pressure medication. But it is that. just a different approach. We, we go more, we, we try to figure out what the cause is more of, of your uh, physical problem. So you take the same boards and exams as an empty, correct? Um, we take our naturopathic medical boards because our boards also include uh, that would be you know case presentations with pharmaceutical drugs, but they will also have botanical medicine drugs, you know botanical medicine drugs uh -huh. mixed into those cases with homeopathy, um, and we take the acupuncture board. So our boards. The first board we take, the science boards after two years, are very similar to the regular medical school boards. But when we graduate, we take the clinical boards, and those are different because ours integrate um, those other um, uh, botanical medicine, homeopathy, and acupuncture in those boards as well. I see. But you can you prescribe drugs and you can do surgery. Yeah, and yeah. The licensing is different. Uh, we are in the same boat as the chiropractors used to be. So I think about half of the states in the United States are now licensed. Uh, the naturopathic medical doctors are licensed uh, medical doctors in those states, and some of the states are still working to provide licensing for naturopathic doctors. So some states that are not licensed yet, you can basically say you're a naturopathic doctor and have done some online school and you never went to medical school. So mm. if you, it's very important to understand uh, what state you live in if, if that is a licensed state or not. And uh -huh. you would have to go and contact the naturopathic medical board for that state to find out if your state is licensed or not. Because you want to make okay. sure you're seeing a doctor, not somebody who studied just on an online course. Very good. I was so impressed with the trust you had in the guidance you received and that this was your path. And you and your family uprooted and moved. Your your husband, your kids went with you with no job for your husband at the time, no money coming in. It was just very admirable. I, I salute you for that. But it was really cool as you just went straight through. And you tell everybody about the day you graduated, why that was a special day in your family. Oh, my. On the day I graduated, my oldest son turned 30 years old. Yeah. So 30 <laughs> years to the day since she'd given birth. So you're how old now becoming a doctor? Uh, I was 58 when I graduated. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, and that was awesome. in 2016. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you uh, you have your own practice now, correct? Yep. I have my own practice in Phoenix. Um, it is called Center for Integrative Medicine. And that is the drlottie.com website. That's how you find me. 
But let's move now to the part about being a medium. It's really funny because I knew I was in your book. You had you had, um, right. sent, sent me a copy of your book with a lovely mm-hmm. note. And when I started reading, though, I forgot about that. And I got to the part in the book where you attended your first conference of IANS, the Inter- International Association of Near-Death Studies. And I think you even said it was in San Antonio. And I was like, oh, I was at that conference. I spoke at that conference and I turned a page and you say, and it was there that I decided to attend a lecture by the evidential medium, Suzanne Giesman. And it just took me aback. It was like, oh, here's the interconnectedness. That's right. But at that time, you did not know you were a medium, correct? No, I didn't. I had, you know, contact with the spirit world and I had contact with uh, family members that have passed over. But I was still very skeptical, being the scientist that I am, that you could actually call in a spirit uh, and communicate with a spirit for somebody that sat across from you. I was in disbelief. And I said, well, I'm going to go listen to Suzanne Giesman talk about this. She comes from the Navy. (laughs) She is scientific, just like I am. And that's why I was so eager to hear, you know, hear you speak about that. Um, and it really helped me come to terms with it. And it's when you put the picture up on the overhead projector that showed Arthur Finley College, the spirit popped in and said, that, oh, you have to go there. And I immediately said, you know, to the spirit guide, I said, I can't go there. I'm still in medical school. I'm only a third year medical school student. I have to graduate. I got to do a residency. That is out of the question. What are you thinking? And sure enough, that is exactly what happened. So you are just one I mean, your spirit guides must be really proud of you now that you actually listen. I hope this is a lesson for everybody. You know, we can push back, but you know, listen. one of the main messages of your book, Dr. Lottie, is listen to your heart. So you do, you did go to Arthur Finley College, not just once, but twice. That's the, that's the school where I studied uh, mediumship initially, and it's just a wonderful place to study. But would you share with everybody listening the beautiful message that came through from another medium, from your mother, that validated something you'd been doing just a few days before when you arrived in England? Right. So this is the first time I go to Arthur Finley College. It's the spring of 2017. I had, it hadn't even been a year since I graduated from medical school and I'm still in disbelief, right? How is, can can this be true? Can you really bring in a spirit uh, to somebody that's sitting across from you? And I had my first reading Mm -hmm. on demand. I had my first reading ever with uh, my teacher, um, and she brings in my mother, and it was as if my mother was sitting on the chair right there. And then she proceeds to say, uh, uh, "Your mother is telling me that you you don't you don't have to watch all those brain game shows that you've been watching because you're worried about getting dementia." Because my mom had gotten dementia when she was in her late 80s, and I was really worried about that. And when I had arrived in England, I had I had gotten there a day early so I would get rid of my jet lag. And I was so bored. I was sitting in the hotel room. I literally watched six hours of brain game shows because I was so worried I was going to get dementia when I got older. And I kept saying to myself, I'm going to get dementia. It's been nine months since I'm nine months out of medical school. I'm not using my brain as much anymore. And I watched brain <laughs> games the whole time. And here is my teacher saying exactly what I had done and what I was worried about getting dementia. That just happened a few days before. And everything that she said was just, it was as if my mom was sitting right there in the chair. And also when I was doing mediumship, like it took me three days before I even realized that 
I, when I brought in a spirit for the person sitting across from me, I kept saying, I walked away each day and I said, that was just luck. That was just luck. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And then it would happen again. And then on the third day, I said, okay, it's not luck. This yeah. is really happening. Yeah. And I'm really communicating. It can't be luck. I've done this, you know, 20 times now in three days. And every time I get the person, even though I think this person is way too young sitting across from me, I bet that their grandparents are probably not even in the, in the spirit world. And I would, my brain would start to try and interfere. And mm-hmm. then I said, no, just, just go with it. Just go with it. Whatever they show you, just say it. It's the only way you're going to figure it out. And I would just say things and they would be, yes, yes, that's correct. And, you know, it took me three days to, even though I had gone to medical school based on, on messages from the spirit world, I was still not believing that you could actually do this. And it, was, it wasn't until the third day and having the reading with my teacher that I really started to understand, wow, this is why life is eternal, because this makes perfect sense. Because I was outside my body when I had my near-death experience. I was still me. I was just in a different state. And it's the same with the spirit world. They're all still there. They're just in a different state of existence, and we can still communicate with them. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. I love this, and I I know that I have many students who are in the same uh, boat as you, being very left brain. I know I have several students who are physicians, and right now, are you listening? (laughs) It's so (laughs) hard to get that conscious mind out of the way, and you know, I know this is why you wrote your book. Right. To share this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, huh. trying to help other people find, uh, trust their intuitive abilities, trust what they feel in their heart, um, knowing that transformation uh, can happen even if they're in their midlife. Just follow that. Follow that inner guidance or, or what your spirit guides are telling you. Yeah. So do you use the mediumship at all in your practice now or your psychic abilities? Uh, it would be hard not to. Um, Ooh, when you answer. practice medicine, <laughs> when you practice medicine, you have to practice medicine according to the law and the scope of you know, your license. Um, however, if you get a spirit guide telling you to do an x-ray or doing something, even if you can't find anything wrong, um, I, will, I will do that. And it has always proven um, to be something there. Even, um, you know, you're listening to that person's chest and you can't hear anything and sounds like just allergies, but sure enough, there might be a bigger problem underneath that's then revealed by the x-ray. But normally, if I didn't, you know, I think a lot of physicians also are very intuitive. It's just that they don't talk about it. And I hope that by me being open about it and writing this book uh, and speaking, I hope to be speaking at conferences um, to bring that back into medicine. Um, a lot of physicians are intuitive, but they're reluctant to speak about it. But, you know, we, li- we listen to that. And I certainly listen to it every day with all my patients. If I get guidance, I'm going to listen to that guidance. Yeah. Do you think anybody can develop this ability? I know what my answer is. I want to hear from you. (laughs) I think that we all have intuitive abilities. We all have uh, ability to develop. Some people will develop more than others. 
And it's just, but we, we all come with intuitive abilities. It's just a matter of how psychic or, or how much of a medium, you know, can everybody be a Suzanne Giesman? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think yeah. it takes a special person, a special path to get to that level. Path. That's the path. But, You're meant to be a healer. I'm meant to yeah. be a medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know right. that. Exactly. I, I just, and it's, you know, the the thought just occurred to me as we're running out of time, people might listening to this might be saying, well, where were your guides when you were suffering for 12 years? They were right there with me because it's during this time that I became clairvoyant, clairaudient and clairsentient. And I had so many different experiences of seeing things or hearing things during this time period that then eventually led me to trust in spirit. But I was so scientific. It was, it took me literally 12 years to trust in it. Because I thought it was just my brain this whole time. And it wasn't until, you know, I had real proof, uh, so many things happening and then saying, well, spirit told me so. And I have I have proof because I told my family about it or I wrote it down in this book and I could go back and say, oh, I wrote it down. Look at that. On April 2nd, I wrote about this and now it's April 18th and it's happening. Right. And it's I needed that proof. I needed the evidence to trust it because I'm so scientific. I, I, I get it. I write down everything mm-hmm. and then we celebrate. So maybe we're a little slow on the uptake, but eventually we get it. And I love that you've put it into your book and, and, and it's providing a model, an example for others. It's just beautiful. One thing that's really cool about your book is how many lessons there are in it. It's it's uh, very nice how at the end of each chapter you provide exercises for the readers. Right. So my hope is that people will read the book and I'm telling them about my own journey, how I became clairvoyant, clairaudient and clairsentient and how everything changed in my life from my experiences. And I tell them about uh, different stories and different things that I experienced. But then at the end of each chapter, I'm, I'm trying to have the, per- the reader reflect on why did I tell you this story and how, what can you do to change your life or how, what can you do to become more intuitive? Yeah, I found it very interesting that it's not just about that. Even the chapters where you talk about raising your three wonderful kids, you talk about some very interesting ways, different ways of seeing when kids act out or act like kids. Is there a different way to see that than the normal human way? So I love that you get us to rise above our human nature and see things from a different point of view. So bravo for that. Thank you. (laughs) Any final thoughts for everybody as we come to the end of the show? Oh, well, I would say that never forget that uh, we're all connected. Uh, We're all one. Everything is divine. And so are you. Everybody is divine. It is just we have a very divine experience here on Earth. And not to forget that. Yeah, the soul always knows it, but we get so wrapped up in the drama of the human story, it becomes easy to forget that. But, you know, your very inspirational story, Dr. Lottie, has helped us all today. And the the number one takeaway I got from your book is never give up on your dreams. So thank you for inspiring all of us today. Everybody check out drlottie.com, D-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tollison. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.